0: I there? Yeah, there I am. Yeah, kind of. It's hard to get it around that big old honking ear, isn't it? ear! I'm like an elephant, but I hear everything that goes on. Lobby, is, that is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to stay with me? Good. If yeah, not, That's right. Okay, are you getting me okay? Good feed? I'll get it comfortable. Okay. Well, howdy. I can talk like you guys. I'm from Arkansas, so I have an accent too. Of course, y'all's is worse than mine. And uh, I've, been at, live, I've lived outside of Arkansas for 20-something years, and I still sound like this. Um, I have nowhere where I'm go- no, no idea where I'm going tonight, which has been typical the whole time. Sometimes I actually do. I want to sit down. Is that okay? Do y'all mind? By the way, what's your name, sir? Damn, okay. I want to talk to you in a while. Uh, Ominous, isn't it? When when you have the mic, man, you can do incredible things to people's minds. (laughs) Let me tell you just a little bit about myself. I am David Taylor, and if you look for me on the web, you probably won't find me because I'm really just an ordinary person, just like everybody else. And... uh, I have a little saying I use this afternoon, and, and so those of you who are there was what it's what is it's we are ordinary people doing ordinary things with an extraordinary God, and that really is my testimony. I'm just a normal guy, and by the way, most of us are just ordinary. You know, sometimes called extraordinary things, but we're ordinary people doing just our ordinary life uh, story things. And in the middle of all that, God will break in and do extraordinary things with us. I've always enjoyed that. I I never know what's going to happen to me. I really don't care sometimes what's going to happen to me. And then other times I go, you know, God, you could find a more convenient time than this. You could find a more convenient time than this. And I want to talk a little bit about that, about just being comfortable with being that. Uh, Everybody likes to have a ministry. How many of you all want a ministry? don't raise your hand, it's a dangerous thing to do, you know, and whenever he asks you to say yes, don't say yes until you've seen the contract, (laughs) you know, you you know what, if I'm saying, but it's really interesting, because everywhere I go, I just have things happen, and I guess that's, I think it's kind of spontaneous, Jesus walking along the road, and a couple guys come up and say, hey, I'm blind, would you mind praying for me, oh, just a minute, let me spit on the ground, and make some mud, and I'll stick it in your eyes, and And then I'll tell you go wash in the pool of Siloam because, you know, I'm going to be long gone because I just stuck dirt in your eyes. (laughs) You know, have you ever thought about some of the bizarre things that are in the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? Think about it just a little bit. You know, it's really funny. I have interesting experiences when I travel on planes sometimes. And I travel for business and I travel for ministry. And I'm always amazed by what happens. One time I had been out on business and I was just worn out and I was going to fly back home and... And I was just so glad to go home, get my own bed. And I sit down on the plane. It was a full plane. And I got the window seat, which is good, because I'm a very long and lanky person, and I have trouble fitting in there, like, you know. And sit down and there's I'm the third guy over, and the guy sitting next to me, we're sitting there on the plane. I'm trying just to start to take a nap. I've got my position, you know, like this, and I hear this, <clears> huh, <throat> <clears throat> hmm. And I look over, and the guy sitting next to me is starting to cry, and I just want to go, man up, boy. You know, you know, come on, girly man, let's pull it together. And the guy on the other side is looking at him like, what's going on? And he's trying to ignore the actions. And I just go, oh, God, you're, you're doing it again, aren't you? You're doing it again. Would you just, I really do want to nap. And I'm thinking, I got, I got like four hours on this plane. Set by this whiny guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking the guy really he needs some help. And he does need help. And he looked at me and he goes, You're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> and you know are there times that you want to say, No, I'm not? And then you think, Oh, I'm supposed to confess him, you know? And I said, Yes, I am. I said, Can I help you? And he begins to, and I call it vomiting. Uh you know. I get to hear every emotional story that comes out of this man's mouth. And he begins to talk to me about his alcoholism. He begins to talk to me about his marriage that's failing. He begins to talk to me about a very thriving business and he's become very wealthy and he's discovered that wealth is not satisfying very much of his life. And the guy on the other side is really, really uncomfortable with the whole thing, and I just want to say, You want to join in and help a little bit, buddy? And he's not very interested. And so i listen to him, confess his sins, and I just go, you know, there's grace and there's mercy. And I said, when we get back home, he said, you know, he said, I'll do anything. And I'm thinking, you'll do anything? You're wealthy? That sounds good. You, would you like to tithe? You know? I'm joking. <laughs> and, and it's really interesting. We're flying into Kansas City and we're sitting down. he goes, oh, by the way, that's my house down there. I go, you could just give me your house. That would be fine. It sets on a golf course. It's this big old honking mansion. And instead of that, I decided to give him my house, the father's house. Does it make sense? Called a couple of prophetic friends. I go, we have a couple we need to pray for and speak into their lives about destiny. Give them a hope that's far beyond the bottle, beyond a broken marriage. And we had a time with them, and we just began to minister to them. Helped them find a church up north. They were north of the city and that to me is just being an ordinary guy this make sense just to be an ordinary person and in the middle of it all god begins to start activity you know why did you know that you are an ambassador for christ that you carry the presence of the king and when you begin to realize that and you begin to push into it things begin to happen around you and they're kind of out of your control so it's a very spontaneous kind of life that you begin to live And in the process of it all, you know, I used to think that when I was a young guy, I actually was a minister in a professional way. That's what I did for a living for about ten years. And then God said, I'm going to take you on a different adventure. I'm going to take you out of that, and I'm going to do something different. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You not understand? You know, I train for this, God. I train for this. I've got a master's divinity. I've been doing the gospel thing for quite some time now. And what I was really thinking is, how am I going to survive in the real world? Does that make sense? And I found out the real world is actually a ministry in itself. That's why I have the phrase, we're ordinary people doing ordinary things with an extraordinary God. And by the way, the diversity of the body of Christ means that some minister here, some minister out there. I have no division between sacred and secular. I'm the same person here that I'm going to be at work, and I work in a large corporation. I work at Hallmark Cards. Please buy cards. Mother's Day is next Sunday. <laughs> Your mother would not be happy if something does not arrive. Just remember that, okay? No, no, no pressure at all. But my salary depends on it. <laughs> and so I've been there for about 17 years. I was at another company for seven. And then I was in ministry for about 10 years before that. And it's, it's been very interesting because every one of them had significant things to do for the kingdom. Every one of them does. I was praying for somebody. I don't even know why I'm going here, just so you understand. Just I just hope you're patient with me for just a few minutes. And I'm going to tell a couple of stories. I'm going to minister to a couple of people. Then I'm going to start taking off with some scripture, if that's okay. Um, got my time. I was asked to come minister to a group of people. They were coming out of a ministry situation. They'd been in a ministry program to equip them to do certain kinds of ministry, and this is a few years ago, and this church across town called me and said, we're looking for some prophetic people that can come in and pray over them. And I go, well, don't you have some of your own? And they go, we kind of like you, and we like working with you. And I, I thought, well, this, you know, it could be kind of a party, and I just I negotiate for, you know, good stuff. And so I said, well, what's it worth to you? <laughs> and so I, I got, a good, got a good meal out of it. I, and, and to tell you the truth, it was just a really good friend. And the issue is not the good meal. The issue is just a little time with him. He's a great guy. And the Lord's on him, and he just serves people. And so I went, and I just sat down with him, and, and they just brought people into the room, and they would drop them in front of us. And it was really funny because he just watched me work. And I, I, between people, I said, aren't you going to work? He says, I'm, watch- I'm enjoying watching you. <laughs> and I go, that's really a cheap cop-out. <laughs> you ever do that? But it's interesting because going through one after another, you know, about, about 20 minutes per person, and they brought this young woman in, and they all have been trained for ministry, and they're all just like getting jazzed. You know, I see you doing this, and I see you doing that, and I see this, and I see these giftings over you, and this young woman comes in, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell her? And I said, I guess I might as well just be honest. And I said, I see you standing at the kitchen sink, washing dishes, looking out the back window, And there's three children on the playground in your backyard and they're having a great time and you're thinking man do I ever have a great life and I said God didn't call you to go to Africa he didn't call you to go to New Zealand he didn't even call you to go across town your heart's desire is just to be a mom and to to stay at home and love your children and love your husband and let that be it and to touch your neighborhood and she started bawling. She says, but everybody told me I'm supposed to go somewhere and do something. And I said, honey, you don't have to do anything that Jesus didn't tell you to do. You don't have to do anything that Jesus didn't tell you to do. And she, she was so thankful. She was the most thankful person of the day because a heavy load had lifted off of her to go out and perform to do something so that God would be happy. Did you know he's happy with you right where you're at? In fact, did you know he died for you before you even said yes to him? He died for you before you were even born, knowing just how nasty you would be and that you would need the covering of the blood. And that's the beauty of the kingdom to me. What I'm trying to say is this. Everywhere we go, no matter what we do, we carry ministry with us. We are ambassadors for christ we are ministers of reconciliation so no matter what you do no matter how you do it just think of this you're a representative of the king does that not shape up your behavior a little bit does it shape up your behavior so let's think about this let's look at john chapter 5 verse 19 To set the story up is this: Jesus has been walking through town with his disciples. They're going to the temple. He says, "We need to take a little detour. Let's go in this place. It's it's uh, called the pool. Beth- uh, I can never say this exactly right, Bethesda, and it's really interesting because it's a healing pool. And I think it's very, very interesting because ever so often, now this really freaks most people's minds out. If if we, if we actually read the Bible as it is, we would be looking at swimming pools in a much different way we would be looking for stirring on the surface of the water where the angel stirred it up. And we would dive into it thinking, this is going to be pretty cool. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? So every so often an angel would stir the water and the first guy in the pool gets the prize. He gets well. Would you not hang around that pool a little bit? You know, you get a cold, just run over to the pool and watch the water. You know, I think that's a pretty good deal. But he's lame so he can't get there. So Jesus begins to talk to him. And he says, what do you really want? Well, you don't understand. See, there's a lot of whiners out there. In fact, some of us are whiners. I whine all the time. And God deals with my whining in really good ways. He gave me a wife. <laughs> she listens for a little while and she says, okay, that's good. Let's, let's get over it and let's go on, you know, which is a really good thing. She's a motivator. And I do whine quite a bit, don't I, sweetie? Yeah. <laughs> But Jesus heals him, and in the process of that, he breaks the rules. Don't you just hate it when there are people who break the rules? And I just, I really get irritated about it because the rules are very well defined. You know, just about any church doctrine will have it in there. And then there's all these unwritten rules that we're supposed to know about. Whenever I was growing up, one of the unwritten rules was you put on your, 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 your nicest clothes to go to church. I grew up in a very traditional church, and I was a very rebellious young man i got saved and so one night uh we're getting ready for church and or pardon me everybody else is getting ready for church except me because i was ready for church already had on my best jeans had on a shirt that i enjoyed and my mom goes well aren't you going to change for church and i go why would i change for church she goes well you know everybody knows now see that means that it's scriptural everybody knows everybody knows that you put on your best to go stand before God. And I'm thinking, he saw me naked in the shower earlier today. (laughs) He made my birthday suit. Maybe you ought to go that way. You know, I just, I have these terrible thoughts that float through my mind. And I should not think them, but they come anyway. But with your mother, you don't say that. So I said, "Um, aren't you just happy that that I really want to go now? And she, I mean, how is she going to argue with that? And what was really interesting, she, she didn't say much about it, but we went to church that night with me in my jeans and in the shirt that I wanted to wear. And it, it was only, it took about three months, and everybody else was wearing jeans in the shirt they wanted to wear. I corrupted the entire place. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I broke the rules and got away with it. And you know what? God didn't kill anybody. There was, nobody died. Isn't that amazing? Well, they confront Jesus. In fact, they confront the guy because he's walking, he gets his mat, and he takes off heading home. He's thinking, I've got to at least take my bed home. You know, where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, it's been 37 years. I hope my, my home is still there. And he gets stopped by the religious police along the way. And the religious police said, did you know you're breaking the law? Hey, you know, uh, you know, I didn't mean to, do, it was it was somebody else that caused me to do this. You know, because he knows what the religious police could do to him. And, and he says, well, who was it? Well, I don't know who he was. Oh, there he is. So they confront Jesus, and Jesus is asked, why did you do that? Why did you break the rule? Couldn't you have waited until the next day to do this thing? Couldn't you have waited until the next day to do this thing? This was his answer. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, "My Father is always at work to this very day, and I am too, and, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried to kill, tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer: "I tell you the truth: the Son of Man can do nothing by himself." He can do only what his Father is doing because whatever the Father does, the the Son does also. And it's it's really interesting to me because I I believe this. I believe that our mission is not to create ministries for ourselves. Our ministry is to do what? What the Father is doing at any given moment. That's really a life passage for me at this point. It's become that, is I just want to do what he wants me to do there's a a friend of mine that has a saying and he said the Lord spoke to him years ago and told him this many good men will ask you to do many good things that are not of me many good men will ask you to do many good things that are not of me very good intentions the right things to do in fact you might even say glory to God that would be wonderful and then just the next sentence should be I'm not called to do that but who is let's find them if it's not your calling don't go do it If it's not your calling, don't go do it. And I I just want you to understand, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm going to talk to you about the scope of ministry that is around us in a few minutes. And what I don't want is for you to get religious on me and to go off and begin to try to create things that you can do to make yourself feel better about the way God looks at you. Because he already looks at you and goes, man, I love him. I love him dearly. And I, I, I want them to serve me but in the way that they serve served me is I just want them to enter into what I'm doing at this moment in time. I don't want them to create anything new, but I'm going to create things through them. I'm going to create things through them. Now, you know, it's really interesting because that's a passage a lot about healing. You know, there was a lot of other people that were there that were sick. And the reason he couldn't get well is because he could never get to the water before the others. And Jesus only did the one, because that's all he was doing. That's what the Father was doing at the moment. That's what the Father was doing. Other times it said he healed all who came to him. Because that's what the Father's doing at that moment. And I believe that we need to come to the place that we see what the Father's doing at any given moment. Big, small, hidden, public, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do something right here. My mouth is really dry. Have you ever had that happen? It's because I'm nervous. All you guys are looking at me. It's just terrible. (laughs) You're really a pretty intimidating crowd. (laughs) And all he's looking for, though, is for us to be obedient in the moment. And sometimes it has great effect, and sometimes it seems like it has no effect at all. But what we're here for is to do this. We are here to be emissaries of the king, and we're here to bring the kingdom of God Jesus' primary message was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And most of us have looked at that as pretty harsh because the word repent has been pointed at us quite often. I don't know about you, but I used to get one of these, Repent! Because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And the guy was very noisy. And the one thing that I never saw that I always wanted to see, my, my mother grew up in a very, very Pentecostal church, and the guy would walk the pews. Have you ever heard of that? The pastor would take off under the anointing, and he would literally walk on the back of the pews all the way to the back. I thought, man, I would have loved I would have been saying, oh, God, let him slip, you know. Because I would like to, woo, you know. <laughs> have you ever thought about that, you know? And so but so ours was not that because He would just jump from the platform to the altar. And I thought, man, he's got some slick shoes on one of these days. He's going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Shook. Yeah. I mean, see, I am really a twisted person i'm really a twisted person but literally my pastor scared the hell out of me i'm serious he scared the hell out of me he scared me to death because you know what i knew i was a worm and i was going to go to hell and he was preaching you know why was preaching during those days we all know this he had the prophecy chart up across the thing and i just knew that one day he was coming back and i would be left behind how many of y'all ever saw the movie left behind Oh, it scared me to death. I came home one day from school. I was like 11 years old, and nobody was there. Somebody was always there. It's 4 o'clock. <laughs> start looking at my watch, you know, start watching the clock. comes to be 5, turns to 6. I've been left behind. <laughs> By 7 o'clock, nobody's still there. I am really nervous, and it's gotten dark. So not only, not only have I been left behind, it's dark, and I'm home alone. By 8 o'clock, I was terrified because I saw the movie Left Behind. And the only way you would make it is when you lost your head on the guillotine. How many of y'all saw that movie? A few of you did. You've got to be really old to have seen that movie. But they showed it in church a couple of times a year, it seemed like. And they had me literally terrified that that's what was going to happen to me. And so repent, that's what it conjured up to me. But when I met Jesus, repent began to have a different feeling to it you know what it meant I have a divine invitation for you and it's an invitation of mercy because the kingdom has drawn near to you I loved you enough to die for you and I want to see your life change because you're really making a mess of it and I have a better plan for you than what you're currently living when I began to understand that message it became a lot more palatable to me to begin to talk to people about repentance and now I just talk to them about the Father's heart for them and how much he cares for them. And repentance is really this. All it is is just acknowledging that we have fallen short of what we were made for. And he wants to recreate a relationship with us that's very loving, it's very caring. And he wants to invite us into ministry with him. He wants to walk beside us and empower us to do things of the kingdom. And I get really jazzed about kingdom things, get really jazzed about them. And I still like breaking rules. I still like breaking rules. In fact, I hope you all make up some rules that I can break just so I can break them. Does that make sense? Isn't that fun? Now, he does have some rules, doesn't he? Ten Commandments, I really don't ignore them. You know, it's kind of a dangerous thing to do. There's a lot of rules that really are there. But some of the ones that we come up with are just crazy. How we dress, you know, what we look like. I grew up in the area where we had long hair. And it's uh, <laughs> funny. I went to a church one time. Some friends invited me. It was actually a family of, of a girl I was dating. Well, I didn't know it, and they forgot about it. the The sermon the night before had been on long hair and beards. I walked in with long hair and a big Fumangie mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't good. Everybody else had gone to the, to the barbershop that day and had white walls, you know. <laughs> so whenever he was preaching the sermon, I was going, this is really interesting. Uh, okay. And then the, everybody in the church knew who the sinner was, right? It had to be. He had the marks of a sinner on him. He had long hair and, a, and a, it was almost close to a beard, but a Fu Manchu mustache. I think if the mustache extended below the cut of the lip, it was from the devil. You know? So it was really funny. When the pastor, he was, it was an evangelist. And so he came off the platform at the altar call and came back to the sinner. And I thought, you know, I can either tell him I'm born again, which he's not going to believe, or I can get born again again. (laughs) So I got born again again, and it was glorious. There was was rejoicing that a sinner had come home. Man, he caught a fish that night, you know? Later, it's really funny, I'm sat with this this couple, and they were really sweet people, and they go, we're really sorry about that. I said, it's okay. I said, that man feels so good about himself, (laughs) you know? He feels so good about himself, and I'm glad he did. You know, I'm glad he did. And you never know, maybe I really did need to be born again again. I need to ever so often anyway, you know, (laughs) Just, just a reality, just a reality of it all. But what we're really about is not playing games like that, is it? It's really about bringing the king's domain in, because repentance leads us to a place of relationship with him, and it's about the king's dominion. The king's dominion coming in. It's about his rule coming in and things changing around us and new hope being given to people. It's about sowing into that and seeing a difference made in the lives of other people. Because when I get to heaven, I really do want to stand there. And what I really want, to tell you the truth, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. How many of y'all want that? Enter into the joy of my Father. And then I want to hear one other thing. And I want to hear him say, Turn around, I want you to see something. And I want to turn around and I want to see a number of people and I want to hear, well done, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for helping me understand this and to get here. Thank you that repent was not a harsh thing, it was an invitation into this moment. I really want that to happen. And then every so often I want to get a phone call from Jesus, come up to the judgment seat, son. And I get to go up there because I think that's kind of where we go probably. We get to go before him first. And go, there's another one. Why don't you go hug him? Does that make sense? Won't that be awesome? And then I want to see the grandchildren of those that I won because they won others. I called my grandchildren. And I want to see the great-grandchildren. I want to see, you know, I led, I led a woman to, to the Lord at work one day, And this is really funny. About a month later, she comes to me. She said, can I eat lunch with you? And I'm like, sure, sure. So we sit down to eat lunch. And she goes, You know, Dana David? Now, Dana had been divorced twice. Dana was one of the things. How many of y'all have read shoebox cards? Dana edited those things forever, you know? She's got a wicked sense of humor. We have a wall, and it's called Funny But No. A lot of stuff from Dana is on Funny But No. (laughs) You know, even Hallmark has some standards. (laughs) Dana had that kind of presence. Does that make sense? How many of y'all understand now, you know? And so... The funny but no woman, she goes, you know, Dana got stuck working with me. And I said, yeah, I know. She said, Dana got saved today. And I go, you're kidding me. And I said, I'm a granddad. And she goes, what? I said, I'm a granddad. I said, so I led you to the Lord. You're my child. You led Dana to the Lord. She's my grandchild. And she started bawling. I said, why are you bawling? She said, I never thought of it that way. (laughs) What's interesting is Dana went on to lead the Alpha program in her church. She began to win the lost. I don't know how many people she's touched. She's been doing that now for about 10 years. She moved away to Colorado, and I don't know what's happened to her out there. I just keep, every so often she revisits, and people say, Dana was here. She's still doing really, really well. It's been been about 13 or 14 years now. Isn't that cool? Dana will be one of my grandchildren in the kingdom, and I think that's pretty special because she received the invitation of repent from somebody who really cared about her, By the way, she's still funny as all get out, and she's probably just about as crass as she ever was. (laughs) A little bit better. Took some of the edge off. (laughs) But it's really interesting to see those kinds of things happen, isn't it? But see, that's because, you know what, I'm an ordinary guy, just kind of hanging around doing ordinary things, and God breaks through every once in a while. And then he begins to use other people in ordinary ways as well. And he begins to use them in extraordinary ways. The person I was talking about that I called my child, I don't know how many people she's led to the Lord now. All I know is this, she prophesies to me all the time. Isn't that amazing? See, you cast your bread upon the water and it returns to you as a blessing. People that you minister to come back to minister to you at key moments in your life. And they love you. It's wonderful to be loved. It's wonderful to be a part of the fellowship of God where we love one another and what is, is it tim again is that right okay, i actually remember somebody's name <laughs> that's a rare moment guys but you know um i was watching you earlier i saw you this afternoon or was it this morning it was this morning sorry this morning too I didn't say anything to you i was ignoring you you kind of intimidate me a little bit i'm joking no but tonight i was watching you and the lord just showed me something it showed me something about you and what's your wife's name tamma okay tim and tamma well, you, we can get a beat going on that, you know. <laughs> you ever thought about that? And it was, it was really interesting because what I saw was a foundation that had been laid about several things. But I saw a foundation, and, and when I see a foundation like that, it's pretty solid. It's, it's about Christ. That's the reason it's solid. See, the foundation of Christ is incredibly solid. And then I saw a lot of people that were coming by, and they would put bricks down on it, and they were trying to build a building. And I saw that y'all were part of that and i said but i didn't see you laying any bricks and i'm thinking well that's disappointing you know they got a foundation and then i saw something else happen i saw a trial come and i saw a martyr being put mortar mortar yeah mortar being put in between the bricks and so they they hold many things together and it, it's about the brick and mortar thing and along with that i saw on the bricks i saw things written and it was like fruits of the spirit the issue of integrity the issue of faithfulness. And I saw all these bricks had been laid and the mortar around much of it had been laid by you. But there had been a lot of labor put into things and it had affected people's lives and it built character and it built trust into their lives. Does that make sense? It builds a strong wall. And it builds a wall and that wall is part of the body. It's part of the building up of the body. So I just want to say good job. You know, make sense to you guys? And so just receive that with the, with the intent it is. You feel the spirit around you? Isn't that good? Yeah? So, Lord, we just say more, more, more. That's good. That's good. You know, another thing is just don't be weary and well-doing. Don't be weary and well-doing it has its own reward I get worried by the way and I get grumpy and you know I, I have a friend I joke with, with saying but I have a friend I call him the grumpy prophet and he really is grumpy but boy he's anointed and so every once in a while I call him I say I'm bringing somebody over and, I want to <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing him over just be nice and yeah, he usually is pretty nice, but uh, if if you brought him over and he was really in a bad mood, it could be it could turn ugly, because he can read mail pretty well. And but it's just always a blessing, to to have people that will receive you well. So, okay, it's probably enough of my rambling. Whenever you look though at the king's domain, we aren't looking necessarily at um, turf. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus really didn't come to redeem parts of the world even though that's part of it he really came to redeem the turf the 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 stuff that satan really wants you know satan really he kind of rules the world right now to a certain extent because we gave him that 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 privilege in our sin but it's really interesting he really wants you you know why he wants to get you and he wants to get your friends and he wants to torture them for an eternity that's been really controversial lately is there really a hell you know i really don't want to find out I don't want to depend that far on the mercy of God. By the way, I think there really is. I can give you a little bit of evidence, not just scriptural, but other things as well. And what what I would say is this, is that turf is valuable. And sometimes it's hard for us to see the value in the turf. Sometimes it's hard for us to see the value. So let's go back and look at where we all began before everything got corrupted, before you and I arrived on the scene and really messed things up. But, you know, we can all blame Eve. Have you ever thought about that? You know, so, to tell you the truth, this is really interesting, but I believe Adam is fairly fairly uh, innocent in the whole process. You know, he's walking around the garden one day, and he sees Eve over, and he goes, there she goes again. How many times have I asked her to stay away from the tree? She likes to shop anyway, and there's really nice apples there, and they're going to look really good in the pie, but... And he walks over. He goes, what are you doing? She says, oh, nothing. He goes, no, what are you doing? Well, I was just eating an apple. See, Now I'm blaming everything on women right here. I'm joking. <laughs> and, and she says, would you like a bite? He goes, no, the Lord told us not to eat that. And she goes, eat it. You know, and, and he did, you know, because he was used to that. <laughs> How many men relate to that? Nobody's hate you race your that's good. You're brave, man. You're in trouble tonight, and I'm in even more trouble for telling that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But we men are really good at something else, and that's putting the blame off on somebody else because whenever he's asked, you know, why did you do that? He says, The woman thou gave us me. See, he didn't just blame the woman, he blamed God for even creating her. Have you ever thought about that? You know, it's hilarious to me. I mean, I love the story, and I love looking at the, how ludicrous it is. We are all responsible for our own stuff, aren't we? We really are. But we're also responsible in this way. He will come and redeem our stuff and give us a chance to start over. We get do-overs. We get mulligans. You know, how many of you all are golfers? Yeah, I got a few. You know, I love mulligans, don't you? Whenever I play with my buddies, and I don't play play anymore, but when I used to play, one of the things we said, everybody starts with a mulligan. So that one shot that really just stunk, you can say, I'll take a do-over. It's a mulligan time, you know, and I just, you know, okay. This one's going to be better, but what happens is this, is you keep thinking about the time before, and this is the same shot you just really messed up. And so you usually do it worse. Have you ever noticed that? And it's the same way until you're forgiven for things, you keep making the same mistakes over and over until if God finally comes and says, I'm going to work on your stroke and I'm going to help you get better at it. And I call that freedom and deliverance. Freedom and deliverance from who I was. And then I can hit the ball straight. Let's look at something here real quick, though. And I won't ramble too far. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, it says this in Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant, and da-da-da-da-da. And at the end, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Whenever, whenever God created the world and he created man, he created something else. He, he gave us two commands. There's two commands that are embedded here that are very primary. And the first one is what? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. We've done a really good job at that. He gives us great motivation for that. And so we're very good at it. And, in fact, we do it out of the boundaries many times. But he says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, we figured that one out. But then he says something else. He says this. He said, increase the number, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, have dominion. Have dominion over the earth. I'm putting you in charge of something very beautiful I created. And let's put it this way. It's a garden. He created the Garden of Eden, didn't he? he created the Garden of Eden. And he began to say this. He said, I created this garden. And as you grow and as you are fruitful and you multiply and you begin to fill the earth extend the borders of my garden make the world a beautiful place bring the rule the things that i began bring them into fullness and fill the world with your with your presence because i created you for that to enjoy it and then fill the world with the garden that i created as well and in the fall we lost much of that and it says it began instead of yielding beautiful things It yielded what? Thorns and brambles. And it's by the labor that we now restore things. It's by the labor of our hands that we now restore things. In Jesus, something happened, though. See, at that point, we gave up our right to rule at some level. Don't fully understand the scope or capacity. Don't even try to. But we gave up part of our rule in doing that. And the evil ones had a heyday, hasn't he? He's had a heyday with this thing. When Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what he was saying is this, for a long time you've been dominated by powerful forces you don't even understand and I've come to break the authority that they have and to restore to you authority that I will give you. And I will give it to you in different ways. But I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you dunamis, power, that you can overcome the evil one. And I just think it's really interesting when he sends his disciples out. This is what happens. He tells them, he calls them together. He goes, hey boys, we've been in training for about two years now. And it's time for you to pick up the ball. I'm going to send you out in front of me. And the game plan is this. You go throughout the countryside. I'm going to come in behind you and we're going to do a big crusade down at the end. And he said, now what I want you to do is go town to town, and I want you to go in there, and I want you to tell them this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then I want you to heal their sick people as evidence that the kingdom of God is drawn near. The evil one's rule and reign is, is coming to an end, and good things are, are going to begin to happen. So begin, go out and proclaim this and do the works of the kingdom and he sends them forth he commissions them and sends them forth at the very end he meets them they've got a big crowd i'm sure everybody's going hosanna hosanna you know all those kinds of things but at the very end he's there and they come back and they said you know what jesus not only not only did the sick get well but even the demons were subject to us even the demons were subject to us and he says i saw satan falling like lightning from the heavens Because the rule of God was coming back into that region. Does that make sense? He sent them forth as emissaries. And he goes, boys, be fruitful and multiply in the kingdom. And take my garden forth. Begin to go plant again. Begin to plant that the loving kindness of God is visiting again. Begin to plant that there is hope that no longer will rules and regulations get you to heaven pure mercy and grace will get you there pure mercy and grace will get you there and then the rules won't be a bother because you have a changed heart isn't that good news we get to start planting gardens again and i look at gardens in very interesting ways i have a lot of gardens i have a couple of gardens at home that are natural gardens they're really ugly because i'm a very bad gardener <laughs> you know i do not have a green thumb I have a, I have, in fact, my, my, uh, the guy I work with has beautiful gardens. He comes in nearly every day with tulips and irises and all these different flowers and they're beautiful and he passes them around the office. He's got a huge gardens. He loves gardening. <laughs> and I, I told my, my administrative assistant, I'm going to bring him a bouquet in the next few days. It's going to be a bunch of dandelions because <laughs> I grow them really well. <laughs> See, I have a green thumb too, but I don't even have to try. <laughs> you know? Isn't that funny? How many of y'all grow dandelions real well? <laughs> you know, the greens, you can actually eat them. So, see, there's a reason for doing that. <laughs> In case there's ever a food shortage, I've got my garden. <laughs> you ever think about that? I just love it. A little twisted, aren't I? But the realms of our life are this. Think about your gardens. I want you to stop and think about them for a few minutes. Here's, my, here's some of my gardens. I have different ones, and they, they sprout up sometimes, and they do really interesting things. The gardens are the realms of life that you touch people in. One of my gardens is my work. I have a work garden, and it's really a work in progress because there's like 4,500 people there. And I've got a lot of borders to extend there. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of centers there, and those are my weeds, and I keep trying to make them look like Roses. But I can't do it, but he can. He can change their lives. I have the realm of my family. We have the realm of our schools that our kids ran. I was a basketball coach. I was a, a baseball coach. I was a Cub Scout leader. And everywhere I went, I found that there was gardens to be tended at each one of those places. One of my favorite stories is when I was coaching basketball, I had two teams. So I had like four practices a week, sometimes four to five games on the weekend. I mean, I had to live and breathe basketball, and I was just like, I enjoy this, but I'm really getting tired of this. You ever do that? And, but I taught values to all my players. That's one of the things I did. I taught them values. People really, Parents, for the most part, really love me. You know why? Their kids got to be better kids. Their kids got to be better kids. Because we talked about teamwork. We talked about caring for one another. We, you know, Most coaches yelled. I wasn't a yeller. I just made a decision not to yell. I, I wanted to encourage people to be a builder-upper. And we had really good teams as a result. It was A lot of fun to play with, with the kids. But one night, one of the guys, uh, his dad normally came to pick him up. and His mom came to pick him up and said, what happened to Bob? She said, well, you see, Bob was really in bad shape. Bob was a compulsive gambler, and Bob liked to drink quite a bit. More so than you should. So he had a real problem, and his kids were suffering from it. His family was suffering from it. I well, happened to Bob? Well, he's, he had a, a problem with his back, and he's in a lot of pain. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, well, he has a ruptured disc and two others that are herniated. And so he's going to have to have back surgery, and he's just in a lot of pain. And I said, well, do you mind if I pray for him sometime? She goes, oh, I don't think Bob would be open to that. And I said, no, I really would like to pray for him. And then she thought, got the idea, yeah, you can pray at your church or something. And I'm like, no, I really want to pray for him. I mean, like, physically, I want to see him, and I want to pray for him. She said, well, I'll bring it it up to him, but I'm not really sure he's open to that. So he's got to go to the surgeon on Thursday, and they're going to talk about how they're going to open him up and what they're going to do to him. So he calls up and says, I'd be willing to be prayed for on Wednesday. I said, that's great. I have a friend that has a healing ministry, and we'll go over and we'll all pray for you. So, and this guy's really good with back's. He has a particular anointing around backs. And so I think this is really going to be fun. So we're driving over. It's a 15-mile drive. We're driving over to see Lee, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and then I'm thinking, how do I make this a little bit more fun? you all like doing that? you like building the suspense and everything? You know, because these people are clueless, you know? You can do all kinds of (laughs) wicked things to clueless people. So I lean up, and I go, you know, we're almost there, but did you remember to bring the chicken? And they look at me real funny. I said, you know, the chicken for the sacrifice. <laughs> and I see them get this really panicked look. And I'm thinking, this is really a lot of fun. And then I started laughing. I go, just kidding, just kidding. You know, there's no chicken involved. And, stuff. and so we go into, we go into this group, and they're praying for a few sick people. And I said, just wait here. And I walk over to Lee and he said, I'll be there in just a minute. And he comes walking over after a few minutes. He looks, he says, Well, what's wrong with you? And he says, Well, I got this da He says, I already know. He says, Let me just pray for you. And a couple of people gather around, they begin to pray. And within 15 minutes, this guy's back is healed. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And I'm thinking, cool. This is pretty neat. You know, I'm thinking, this is good stuff. And then one of the women that's praying with us. She looks at him and she says, oh, by the way, both of you are wearing crowns. And she goes, but you don't know what they're for. And so I go, I would have never suspected these people of being believers because they didn't look like it at all and they didn't act like it at all. turns out they were Catholic and that they had made some kind of a commitment. And I go, man, that's a very small commitment because, see, they had not come into a place of cleaning their act up yet. But God looked at their heart and said, I love them and I've accepted them and I've given them a crown to wear. So I had to change my perspective on Bob. I had to change my perspective on Karen for the moment. It really touched Bob very deeply. And then I started thinking, you know, I've got this realm, I take care of these kids, but I have all these, these adult men that have these needs and nobody's ministering to them. And we never talk about faith. We talk about strategy and we talk about team building. We talk about the uniform color because they were all concerned about the uniform color. You know, it's got to look good. My son doesn't feel like playing if I don't look, if he doesn't look good. And I'm like, what? You know, I mean, your son has no skills. You know? <laughs> you know, that's all he can do is look good. You know, I had some of those. But out of that, I, I began to say, this is a realm, a, a garden that God has given me to tend And so I went around to these men, and I began to say, hey, would you like to do a Bible study with me? Would you like to do a Bible study with me? And they go, well, what do you want to talk about? Because, see, immediately walls started going up. Oh, he's a freak, man. He's one of those Jesus freaks. You know, you don't talk about that outside the church, you know? But Bob's excitement and him getting well had something to say, so we started getting together, and there there was about six or seven men that said that they would do it and i said and they said well what are we going to talk about i said well we're going to talk about how we raise our boys better so we're going to have a discussion around what the bible would say about that and then we'll talk about how to be better at being a dad and i said and we'll meet late we'll meet at eight o'clock so that we can put our kids to bed and then we'll meet and we'll meet and then we'll pray for one another and the pray for one another gets a little bit iffy you know but we started meeting together now this is how this is the way you plant a garden And so we start meeting, and in the middle of all this, I'm thinking, is this just a, here we go, is this just another program? How many of y'all want another program to be involved with? I don't either. So I'm thinking, is this just another program? And I'm going, these guys are pretty hopeless. I got a couple of Episcopalians, got a couple of Presbyterians, got a Baptist, you know, got a Lutheran, and it's really fun. You talk about trying to discuss scriptures, With that kind of a motley crew, it can really be exciting. And with me in there, it really is exciting because I just know everything to antagonize everybody and get discussion going, get it really heated, you know. And I enjoy this because I see discussion is robust and fun, and then I get to poke fun at them, and I get to laugh real loud and go, just kidding you, you know. So it's just good. But when it comes down to the essentials of Jesus, we all agree. And then one night it happened. I kept saying, God, where's the moment? that you want to impact these people with great power. I was ready for that after two weeks. See, I'm really an impatient person. If I'm going to have a garden, I want to plant the seed, I want the seed to come up, and I want it to grow really fast. And then I want to be able to eat what it produces. Does this make sense? I mean, if y'all like gardens like that, have you ever seen one like that? Those suckers take forever. You know, it just takes forever. About three months into it, One night, we come together, and the Lutheran guy, who is the fundamentalist people I've ever known, also one of the guys with one of the biggest hearts I've ever known, just a great guy, he said, you know, I'd like, before we close tonight, he said, I'd like for you to pray for me because I've got to go to a surgeon because I've got a problem. And I just look over, and he's sitting behind on the couch, and I go, if I can tell you what your problem is... Can I pray for you? I mean, really pray for you? See, they don't know what I'm talking about. They've never seen Dave Taylor go weird, (laughs) okay? They've never seen this before, and they've never seen it in their churches probably. So I thought, okay, and he goes, well, I, I guess. So we had our Bible study, and we stood up for the regular prayer stuff, and I said, okay, and see, we always joined hands, and we prayed for all of our kids, and we prayed for our spouses, and we prayed that we'd be better fathers. That's the way we always ended. And I said, Ken, is it okay if I pray for you? And he says, looks at me really suspiciously. And he goes, yeah, which means stay on the other side of the room for me. And I said, I can tell you what's wrong with you. And he's standing behind the coffee table. And I said, you need to come out from behind the coffee table. He goes, why? Because he really is suspicion. Have you ever noticed that people are suspicious of you if you want to pray for them? And I said, really, I need to have you step right out here. And he came out, and I walked over, and I ran my hand down his back. And I go, you have a spot right here that the nerves have been damaged. And he goes, the surgeon told me the spot is this big around. And he said, you just touched it. He goes, how do you do that? And I said, we'll talk about that later. And then I'm thinking, now here's the issue. What do you do in a moment like that? Because if it doesn't work, you're going to look foolish, right? How many of y'all ever get those thoughts? Yeah, be honest, we all do. My reputation is on the line. I've already got a bad one, as it is. And so I enlist two other guys. I enlist Chuck, who's an ex-Marine, ex-football player, big honking old dude. And I'm thinking, who's going to mess with him? And then I invest George, He's one of the kindest people, and his wife's a minister in the Presbyterian Church. So I'm thinking, you know, I can, they can be my scapegoats. I'm joking with you. See, I want to trap everybody that I can to do the work of the kingdom. I said, boys, come over here. Lay your hands on him. Here's what I want you to do. We're just going to ask the Lord to come and heal him. And they go, well, how do you do that? I said, here, put your hands on his shoulders. Put my hand on his back. And I said, Father, we just ask that you bring healing power. Power hit his body. Chuck Standers begins to sweat profusely, running down his face. He goes, I must really be embarrassed. See, they've never discovered the power of God before. The Presbyterian guy's going, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And I'm just going, this is really good. This is a Holy Ghost party. You know, he showed up. It's good. This is good. Does that make sense? Isn't that good stuff? And Ken got healed. And that's awesome. And that's where we began. And they go, what was that? And they go, that was God in his manifest presence. And I showed him in the Bible where it says that whenever Jesus was in teaching in a meeting, it says the presence of the Lord was there to heal the sick. I said, this is that presence that will heal the sick. This is that that's spoken of there. And then I said, I have some friends that come over and pray for you. And they go, well, what do your friends do? Now, by, by this time, they're both excited and terrified. And I know what's going to happen. They're going to go home, and they're going to tell their wives. That Taylor. we knew he was odd. He's really bizarre. In fact, you know, I was sweating like a pig. He, you know, and you can just hear the con- Can you imagine the conversations that went on at their homes? And so I, I, I told him, I said, you know, I have some friends that will come pray for you guys. And I said, they're really unusual they're prophets and the big guy the african-american guy the big di big football player he follows me out and he says what are they going to do now this uh, this is not meant to be crass this is just the reality of what he said he said what are they going to do are they going to put us in the middle of the room and pee on us talk about despising the things of god the church despises the things of god because they don't, they don't understand and this is my garden and my garden is being denigrated and I go you know I'm really sorry that you even said that I said you know me well enough to know that I care about you and I arranged a time for some prophetic guys to come over only two guys would come and they came to openly defy me and it was so fun when they sat down and (laughs) the big African American I'm thinking go for him first take him out take him to the ground you know Because this is about kingdom conflict. Does that make sense? He's a leader in his church. He's a powerful man. Take him down, Lord. God break into his heart and change who he is as a person. And my friends started reading his mail. And they began to talk about his family. They began to talk about his wife. They began to talk about his kids. And they've never met him. He gets on his cell phone. He goes, Gina, get over here now. And they begin to prophesy into their life. Boom, 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 boom. God began to do miracles in their lives over the next few weeks. It was incredible. They turn to George, they go after George, and they begin to speak to him about things that happened when he was a kid. He's an old geezer like me, you know. Begin to bring inner healing to him. He's he's so receptive by this time. The kingdom of God began to till the soil of my garden. It was really neat. The next time I had a Holy Ghost party, we had about 20. And then I began to pray into their churches. And my garden began to expand. And I began to pray in the one church, the guy, the big African American guy, Episcopalian. It's really interesting. I ended up going there. The guy was very evangelical and prayed for many of their leaders, probably prayed for about 100 people in their church over a course of time. They came and they asked me to write their mission statement for their church isn't that awesome the garden just kept getting bigger and I I just had to tend more and more of it and they would bring their friends you know one time Chuck brought a friend in one of our rules was this you bring in people that that we can grow and send them out to make them healthy and he brought this guy in and I called him up and I said Chuck you brought a guy in that's not healthy he goes what do you mean I said the Lord told me about him he's been through two marriages he's broken and you brought a broken man in and we're here to equip you you need to take care of him and then bring you back in. I said, "So go have a talk with him. Tell him he's more than welcome here, but he's got to decide to repent." So I think he's your friend. You need to tell him. I get a call. The guy's a surgeon. He's a teaching surgeon at KU Med Center. It's really interesting because <laughs> uh, a couple days later I get a phone call from him. It's Jamie. He goes, "This is Jamie. We met the other night." And I go, "Yeah." He said, "Chuck says you need to talk to me." <laughs> oh yeah, Chuck. You got a lot of backbone there. So watch, you played college football, and you were a DI, and you fought in a couple of wars, you know? He didn't man up. And I said, well, I said, you've been through two divorces, haven't you? He goes, how would you know that? I said, the Lord told me about you. I said, you think it was their fault. I said, you know, I just hate to tell you this, but you're just a really cruel person. And he goes, I'm starting to discover that. He goes, can you help me? Can you help me? I'm thinking, I can handle that one. Does that make sense? If they want help. And it was so fun because Jamie began to get healthy. And they brought other guys. And they began to get healthy. And it was so fun, the first Holy Ghost party that I hosted that Jamie could come to. I had four prophets sitting on a couch. And I would just put people on a chair in front of them. And they would begin to prophesy to them. And these people don't know anything. I mean, I bring in people that have no clue what's going to happen to them. And Jamie's sitting there. And one of the prophets goes, Hmm. I see harvester over you, and another guy goes, "I see healer," and the guy goes, "You got it wrong. It's harvester," and that guy goes, "Healer," and the prophets were getting in an argument with each other. And I go, "Boys, boys, you know, play nice, and just tell him other things that you see. We'll explain that later." And so they and, and Jamie's just sitting there beaming because he's a transplant specialist. He harvests and heals. He harvests and heals. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Jamie is a totally different person. He began to repent for his behavior. He got counseling for being just a nasty husband. And he went back and repented to his former wife and remarried her. And, the, and God's began to bring healing into their family. Now, see, that's taking care of your garden. Ordinary guys doing ordinary things with what? an extraordinary God that's what we are we're really out to bring the kingdom wherever we are now here's where I want to go did that happen because I stood up here and got to be up here in front of you guys and act like I'm important because I'm not really just so you understand And, but, but it's because I invested in a basketball team in a person in a group of men and the garden just kept getting bigger. We stumble onto these things, guys. We stumble into them all the time. There is ministry. I get so tickled with people talking about their ministry. And I'm sitting in a restaurant and I go, The person right there, I'll just go, See the person right there? Yeah. They got a problem. This is their problem. You want to go talk to them? Oh, I couldn't do that. See, the ministry is right there. And they're talking about this thing which means that they get dressed up in a three-piece suit. No, they don't do that anymore, do they? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I'm not in a three-piece suit. What would I do then? I don't even own one, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. I just had a nightmare. I just got shivers down my back. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you own a three-piece suit, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> don't throw rocks at me or anything. Can you catch a vision... For the garden around you. For the person that sits in the booth next to you. Can you catch a vision for that? And can you understand that that's what we're about? Is to be ordinary people. Every day living our lives. Doing ordinary things. It's really interesting. I, I work for John Wimber. And I'll just be really honest about that. It was a really good time in my life. Mona and I had a great time with the vineyard in the early days. We saw the beginnings of it. We were there for the beginnings of all the stuff that happened. And John was a great evangelist. We saw thousands upon thousands of people come to Christ through our church. The last year we were there, we had over 2,000 baptisms. You know how many altar calls we had? Two. Because his thing was, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You come together in church to be equipped to go into the world and to be ordinary people doing ordinary things, and God will do something incredible out there. And so people got saved out there, and we brought them to church to baptize them and equip them and to train them does it make sense we all had a sense of purpose and mission it's one of the few places that I've ever been to that if you wanted to get a good seat and by the way the good seats aren't back there they're up here that you had to get there an hour early to get a good seat because always the anticipation that God was going to do something it was extraordinary it was a great garden to be a part of I really want us to catch the vision of this is that we are meant to be sent ones into the world we are meant to plant our gardens and to tend them well we need to have that vision that the meat is in the streets and our ministry is not necessarily up here even though some people are called to that we're all called to a ministry we're called to our neighborhoods we're called to our jobs we're called to coach we're called to teach we're called to do many different things some of us even get radical callings. It says, well, we'll have ministries of this. It says, you will be endued with power, right? In Acts, you'll be endued with power. It will start in Jerusalem. It will go to Judea. It will go to Samaria all the way to the other most parts of the world. That's amazing to me. I know what my Jerusalem is. I know what my Judea is. I know what my Samaria is. I'm still trying to discover the uttermost parts of the world. Campbellsville fits somewhere in there, doesn't it? (laughs) You know? Think about it. Do you catch a vision? How many of you in here go, I know what some of my gardens are about. I know what some of my gardens are about. And sometimes, you know, he plants really ugly things in your garden, and he goes, make it beautiful. I really enjoy making things beautiful, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'll share one more story, then I'll quit. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm more of a storyteller than anything else. And then I'm just going to get weird for a while. Is that okay if I get weird? Uh, all things work together for the good of him who's called according to his purpose. How many of y'all know where that is? Romans eight twenty eight. Everything has a purpose. I broke my, in my coaching, I broke my foot. And so I'm walking around, I broke my right foot, I couldn't drive my car. I have a Catholic friend that works next to me. I said, Tim, can you, can you and he lives not too far from me. I said, can you pick me up and take me to work? And he goes, under one condition. And I, I had to be quiet the whole time because I'm obnoxious. No, I'm kidding you. <laughs> I am obnoxious. You know, I do talk a lot, but that wasn't the thing. He said, you have to go to a Bible study I do on Thursday. And I go, really, what's it about? He says, well, it's a bunch of those Catholic guys that get together. I'm thinking, fresh meat. See? New garden, fresh meat, good stuff, huh? So I go, and the first week I'm watching them, and they're uncomfortable. They got a visitor in the group, and he's a Protestant. You know, he's a Protestant, and they were really good. They were really great guys, by the way. All them businessmen, really good businessmen. A couple of them very wealthy, and I'm thinking, good, yeah, this is kind of fun. You're know, kind of hanging around with these guys, and the next week it was the same thing, and the third week. The night before, he says, I need you to talk to three of them. I'm going, you aren't going to get me in trouble again, are you? Because, see, every time he comes up with that, he's, he's trying to stir up trouble for somebody. And I hope it's the devil because his kingdom will advance. So I wrote down the notes that he gave me and thought, boy, this is going to be a really interesting day. And I hope Tim doesn't get kicked out of the group because it's been going on for years. And so we're sitting there, and they're winding down, and their studies were always really bad, you know? Really sincere people, but really bad studies. And this one guy's name's uh, John, John Gohausen. And I, I go, John, I had an impression about you. you mind if I tell you about it? And John's just this guy, he explores things. You know, he's really a funny guy. He t- I asked him one time how he got saved, and he said he had never... he grown up Catholic had never really uh, understood the gospel. And some guys invited him to a Bible study. And some promise keeper guys. And so his friend said, you just need to bring a Bible. So he looked around the house and he found one. The Honkin' family Bible <laughs> on the coffee table. So he goes walking into the Bible study with this honking book <laughs> to, to study the Bible. That's the only Bible he knew about, you know? Isn't that hilarious? It said, "My that, it had never been opened. <laughs> so when he starts to open, door, <laughs> he tells the story, I just die laughing. He goes, somehow in the midst of all that, I found Jesus, you know. And so he's sitting next to me. And so I start talking to him about the purposes of God over his life. And the spirit of the Lord falls on him. He goes, what is this? I said, what? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm burning up. And I go, that's God. So I start praying for him. And start praying over him. I said, oh, God, just fill him up. And the guys are looking. They're all getting really uncomfortable. One of them's a lawyer, and he's got his head down. Don't make eye contact with the guy. And he's reading his Bible underneath the table. And it's just like if you make eye contact, he might say something to you. Have you ever seen that kind of a look? You know, terrified, <laughs> terrified. And so I thought, he's one of the guys. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking, I can really have fun here. And so I looked at him. I, <laughs> I can't remember his name. It began with the death name. It was Darren. And I go, I go, Darren? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I go, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm not sure. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just go home and read Matthew 7, and everything's going to be okay. And I said, read the part. Read the part. And I can't remember what part it was, but it was some part of Matthew. Oh, it's judge not that you be not judged. Just read that. And he goes, why? I said, just read it. Well, he was reading Matthew 7, and he was reading about false prophets because he knew I had to be one. And he came to Tim later. He goes, how did he know I was reading Matthew 7? He goes, Dave's really unusual. (laughs) He, He steered clear of me as far as he could the whole time I was part of their study. Other guy, I said, I need to talk to you alone. I said, would you mind doing that? And the reason was I had a very hard word to deliver. You don't do those things in public places. And we went to, because we met in a guy's office, we went to another office. I sat down, I said, the Lord showed me a light and a dark side of your life. I said, the light side of your life is you know Jesus and you want to serve him. And God's given you open doors in the marketplace because you've achieved great success. And I said, the dark side of your life is your home, and you go to church every week, but your wife doesn't know Jesus. But you're Catholic, you, you know him, she doesn't, and it's miserable for you. I go, if you will proclaim him in the marketplace, God will redeem your wife. And he goes, how do you know all this? So because God knows you. He went to a conference a couple of A couple weeks later, it's hundreds of men in this conference up in Chicago. And he stood up and he said, you know, everybody asked me the keys to success in my business. And he said, I have some basic principles I follow. And he said, the first one is I serve Jesus Christ. And he began to talk about how his faith helped him make decisions about the business. And in the process of that, he said, I thought I was going to be rejected by the business community he said, I had hundreds of guys lined up wanting to talk to me about Jesus. He said they were all desperate to know something that would help them in many areas of their life. He said, Dave, it was awesome. Within three months, his wife came to know Jesus. Then her family came to know Jesus. And then they began to reach out beyond that. And after about four months, they called me over to their house. They wanted me to come by and see something. And I went by and they had over 30 people sitting there that had come to know Jesus in the last few months. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So into your garden. That garden is only for a year. But I had a lot of fun playing with the Catholics, you know? <laughs> now I threw some Holy Ghost parties for them. They got so used to me that one time we gathered and it was really cold in the room and they go, can you do that thing that you do so well? And I go, what do you mean? Well, we're all cold. <laughs> and so this is hilarious. I said, let's try it. I called the fire of God down and everybody got hot. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You know? Does God have a sense of humor or what? He took a little old Pentecostal boy and did something with him to change people's lives. So do you catch the vision I am an ordinary person doing ordinary things with an extraordinary God. Do you want to do that? Do you really want to do it? Isn't that fun? Doesn't it sound like a wonderful thing to do? Okay Now comes the fun. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so dearly, that you've called us, you've called us your friend. You've called us into things that are, well, we don't even know what they're about. It's a mystery to us, but it's a wonderful mystery. Now, Lord, we just ask that you just release, just release your ministry here for a few moments.